We've been walking through this, and we've got some motions. That's what Manny and Calvin were going to help me through, uh, but they ditched me, so now all by myself. Um, we have been uh, kind of help. these are helping us kind of associate the, the major plot lines in the story, kind of a total physical response thing going on. Uh, we've got a new motion for today. I know you guys are always excited when we add those. Uh, we've got, so last week we did the kingdom, you put the crown on your head, and this week we're going to see that that kingdom divides. So we're just going to take that crown and split it in half. All right, so you got kingdom and then divide it. All right, so from the top, we've got God, creation, fall, promise, flood, tower, patriarchs, exodus, law, conquest, judges, kingdom, divided. <laughs> you guys look ridiculous. Um, we're going <laughs> to. So today we're going to talk about this kingdom period in Israel's history, okay, simply defined by the title. It's, it's when the kings are ruling the nation, and the narrative, the actual storyline of the, the um, kingdom period is found in First and Second Samuel, First uh, and Second Kings, and First and Second Chronicles. You'll actually see Chronicles kind of overlaps the narrative uh, in Samuel and Kings, and so we'll see that in our story today uh, as we go forward. Um, but as you know, we kicked it off, the first king of Israel was King Saul. And he was a bad guy, okay? Just like this little girl. Even the baby knows Saul was a loser, okay? Uh, he, he was not a good king, did not get Israel off onto the right foot. But then we saw last week, King David, he steps onto the scene. And, and David was, as we saw, he's, he was a man after God's own heart. And last week, we kind of dove into what that means and what that looks like and what that looks like for us to be someone after God's own heart. And the other noteworthy thing, one of the noteworthy things about David is that God promised to David, he said, from your line, and remember, he had promised back to Judah that the, there's a kingly line coming from Judah. And God says to David, it's going to be from your ancestors specifically. From this point forward into eternity, there will always be a king from David's line. And we talked about the fact that that is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. That Jesus is going to come. He has come. He, he's, he is, there's been an inauguration, but he's coming back. He'll be enthroned uh, as king for the rest of eternity to fulfill this prophecy to David. Um, and so then after him, he has a son named Solomon. And if you're familiar with the Bible, you've probably heard of Solomon uh, Famous for a few things in particular. One was the fact that when God asked him, he said, David, I'll give you anything you want in the whole world. And, and what Solomon asked for is wisdom. And, and David, God was so impressed with that. He said, I'm going to give you wisdom. And I'm also going to give you all sorts of wealth and prosperity. So he asked God for wisdom. One of the ways we see that expressed is in the books of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and that scandalous book, the Song of Songs, or Song of Solomon, uh, that's not appropriate for all ages, so we're not going to study it here this morning. Uh, but Solomon wrote those, showing his wisdom. Another thing that Solomon did was he built the temple. Now, up until this point, remember when God instructed the Israelites back in the wilderness to build a tabernacle, it was a tent of meeting. It's where God met man. Heaven kissed earth, and they would bring sacrifices and offerings to this tabernacle. Well, that was a temporary building that's now established in Jerusalem, the city's capital. And David asked God, he says, I want to I give you a building that's worthy of your honor. I want to blow this bad boy out. I want to give you a temple for your name, for your glory. And God says, David, you've got too much blood on your hands. You're a man of war. I'm going to have your boy Solomon do it. So Solomon, he, he constructs this temple. Temple. It's this magnificent building. It takes 14 years to build. And they build this um, temple. 
And, and then what we see here is that the kingdom of Israel experiences a time of peace and prosperity unlike they ever had before and they ever will again. And you think about the people of Israel, back to when they were slaves in Egypt, and God promised them, if you'll follow me, if you'll obey me, if you'll trust me, I'm going to set you up in this land that I promised to Abraham, and I'm going to bless your socks off. I'm going to give you land and wealth and cattle and, and, and protection like you've never experienced. And a thousand years later, under the reign of Solomon, they finally experience this peace and this prosperity. Like my girl, Etta James, says, at last. All right. Well, no? Nobody out here? Okay. Uh, but Solomon, unfortunately, this does not last. Solomon's downfall is his love for the ladies. And De- Deuteronomy 17, God, because he's God, he sees these things coming. And he told uh, Moses, he said, Moses, The people are going to ask you for a king, and they're going to ask to have a king just like all the other nations. He goes, this is the kind of man that I want to be a king over my nation. And he said, the first thing is, is that I want him to keep the law. He said, I want this king to keep the law within arm's reach at all times, to know it and to teach the people of Israel to follow it. Because remember, they've entered into this covenant relationship with him, where God said, if you keep my law, if you obey these rules, I'll keep you in the land and you'll prosper. If you disobey these rules, I will drive you out of the land and you will be cursed. So it's very important that you know this law, that you keep this law. And then he says specifically to the character of this king in verse 17 of Deuteronomy 17, the king must not take many wives for himself because they will turn his heart away from the Lord. He must not accumulate large amounts of wealth and silver and gold for himself. And we see Solomon's heart start to bend toward his own wealth. And then we see him take on 700 wives and 300, uh, Pastor Larry calls them porcupines, uh, 300 concubines for himself. And, and these, a lot of these women are from other countries. They worship other gods, and, and they pull him away from the one true God, and he starts to bow to these false gods. And, and so what happens is, and we see this so often, the nation goes as the leader goes. That's why leadership is so important at the church level, at the national level. And, and so the nation starts to walk away from God yet again. And including that, his sons do the same thing. The sins of the father are, are the sins of the son. And what this leads to is a national split. Okay, we're, bl- we're going to blitz through this thing. So you have the United Kingdom under Saul, David, and Solomon. Each of them reigned for 40 years. And the 12 tribes of Israel are all together in this one nation called Israel. But, but after Solomon, he, he has a son named Rehoboam. And there's this division after Solomon between Rehoboam his, his son, and then his right-hand man, Jeroboam. Okay, they rhyme, so just to help make it more confusing. And, and so what happens in this kind of split is Judah and Benjamin, they go over with uh, Rehoboam, and, and then the other ten tribes, they follow Jeroboam. And, and we see the nation of Israel, only three kings in, divide. And it starts to become this divided kingdom where there are two nations and two kings f- for the rest of the time until they're exiled. You see the kingdom of Israel in the north, that's the blue. Uh, they, their capital is, is Samaria, and in the south is Judah, and their capital is Jerusalem. That's where the temple is. That's where the center of worship is. Israel is much larger, but we're going to see it's Judah um, that has the center of worship, and, and God's going to primarily operate through. Now, what God had told Israel, he said, I've got some criteria. Remember back in Deuteronomy? The heart of what he's looking for from a king. He says, this is the kind of man who's going to lead my people because this is the kind of people I want my people to be. First of all, that they will worship God alone. 
You will, you will have no other gods before me. You worship me, and, and you only worship me. So number two, with that, you get rid of idolatry. Worship of anything other than me. It must get out of your land. That's why they had to drive out those other nations that were worshiping other gods. And number three, you must be faithful to my covenant, that Mosaic covenant that we talked about, keeping those, those 613 commands. Well, Israel does not do a very good job. The northern kingdom, we'll call Israel, they have zero good kings and 20 bad kings, Okay. That is not good. That's like the shooting percentage of the Cleveland Cavaliers in game one of the NBA Finals. Okay? Five of you get that, and that's okay. It was a sad deal. Um, but Judah, they do slightly better. The good kings, um, they have eight good kings, 12 bad kings. Now, um, that would still be a failing grade in school. So still not a good thing. And as you see, the majority of the kings did not follow after God. And so what this leads to, and in fact, the first 60 years of the kingdom is civil war. It's infighting between the, now the nation of Israel and the nation of, um, of Judah. In a way that, I mean, you think Yankees and Rebels, uh, or, or for some of you, you think Iron Man and Captain America, okay, it's got nothing on what they were experiencing. I mean, you think about the people of God killing each other. This is not a people that's following after their God. And so, kind of looking at a timeline here, there's a lot of information on the screen, I understand that. We're going to just look at one part of it. Um, both kingdoms... They end up falling because of their disobedience. Israel lasts as a nation for 327 years before they fall in 723 BC to the Assyrians, uh, the Assyrian Empire. And then Judah lasts a little bit longer. They're a kingdom for 464 years until in 586 BC, they're taken captive by uh, Babylon. And uh, this stuff's all on the PowerPoint you can get on the website. Uh, Now, just like the period with the judges, here's what I want us to see. That this was Israel's epic failure to trust God and to obey God. And just like God had promised, it leads to their demise. Both kingdoms are going to be overtaken. The people are going to be led into exile. We're going to talk more about the exile next week. But because I told you we're going to move at a rapid pace, what we're going to do this morning is we're just going to, we're going to zoom in on one of these kings. And we're going to talk about King Josiah this morning. Um, probably along with Hezekiah, the two best kings, at least as far as what we see in these stories uh, that have come along since David. And, and one of the most noteworthy things about Josiah is he is eight, yes, eight years old when he takes over on the throne. So you think about this, and I was thinking about people, kids in our church. That is Rowan Peterson. Uh, that is uh, Jackson Hayes. Uh, and that is Adeline Ross. I was, I was messaging with Mariah uh, earlier this week, and I was at, just verifying ages. And, and I said, you know, that the king was eight years old. And she said, that's terrifying to think of Adeline in charge of anything. Right? <laughs> and and uh, so you, you think about it, when I was eight years old, I'm watching cartoons, eating my own boogers, right? I, I'm not even ch- allowed to be in charge of a blender, let alone a nation. Okay, so here is this second grader who would, it is like a second grader being the president of the United States. And he's just as surprised as you and I are. Uh, so, so here you have this eight-year-old who's assuming the throne of, of Judah. And now you understand the context here. 80 years before Josiah takes the throne, the northern kingdom has already been taken into captivity by Assyria. So you would think that the kingdom of Judah would, would, would dial in here. That God is to be taken seriously, that Israel is disobeyed, and they're not even living in their own nation anymore. 
But all we see in the eight following decades after Israel is driven out by Judah is moral decline and idolatry for 80 years. And Josiah, he takes over this evil kingdom. His grandpa, Manasseh, is potentially the most vile, uh, evil king of all of Judah, uh, which is saying something because he comes from a line of scumbags. But this man, he says, he goes, I am going to be, my name is going to be known in Jerusalem forever. Not the na- he's not lifting high the name of Jehovah. He's lifting the high the name of Manasseh. And then, in fact, he actually sacrifices his own son on a pagan altar. And in the temple that was originally designed for for the Shekinah glory of God to enter, for people to come, only the high priest can enter the Holy of Holies once a year. It's this sacred place. And what you see is shrines and altars and prostitution inside of God's house. And in fact, he was not only an idolater, but he was a murderer. And it says of him in Kings, Jerusalem was filled from one end to the other with innocent blood. And this is supposed to be a man that is leading the people of God. And then his dad, or his son, uh, Josiah's dad, Ammon, he wasn't any better. In fact, he was such a bad king. His own servants, they, they wipe him out two years into his reign as king, which is why Josiah gets pegged with this oversized crown at the age of eight. He takes over since his dad has been assassinated, and all of a sudden, this kid who hasn't even hit puberty with no godly influence to learn from. Political chaos. Israel's already been driven out. He assumes the throne. But before he dies in battle at the age of 39, he is going to lead the people of Judah into the greatest revival of this nation's history. And what we're going to see in the story with Josiah this morning, what I call a teenage revival, that he leads... Some of you parents just laughed. I heard that. Um, so, man, he leads the people back to God in this incredible way. And I want us to learn from that in hopes that we might experience similar things in our own hearts as a people and as a community uh, in, like Josiah shows us here. Now, like I said, Chronicles does some overlapping. So these, these stories are actually found of Josiah in both Second Kings and Second Chronicles. Um, there's a lot of parallels there. So we'll be pulling some verses uh, from both of them. But look at what it says here in Second Chronicles 34.3. During the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, Josiah began to seek the God God of his ancestor David. A couple things I want to camp on there. The first it says he seeks after the God of who? His ancestor David. See, David was a man after God's own heart, and we see that Josiah is a man after the man after God's own heart. And and a couple things that we can pull out here. Number one is to seek the Lord young. This is his eighth year of reign. He's 16 years old. When most kids are failing their driver's licenses, Josiah has been a king for eight years and begins to seek God with all of his heart. And what I want us to pull out from this is don't delay. And I said, well, I'll follow God when I get older and I can't do anything else, right? And Solomon himself, he said, don't forget your creator. When you're young, do not forget your creator. And then teenagers, okay, in this room, looking at you, where's Toad? Looking at Toad. Oh, you put in Joe in the nursery? <laughs> I'll have to talk about the parenting seminar after this. Um, I want to say, on behalf of the adults, to the teenagers, that I'm sorry that often we don't take you seriously enough. 
the teenagers in our church, they're the next generation of leaders. But not just then, but now. You see, God calls us to follow him and for us to disciple people, to be wholehearted followers of Jesus today. And we want to press into that as a church. And secondly, it says that he, notice how it says he began to seek the Lord. We need to keep on seeking. This is not a, a one-time seek. Oh, he looked and he found God. And then it was good from that point forward. No, he began a process that took, that continued over the course of 23 years. The rest of his life, he is seeking his God. And listen, the Christian life is not an overnight process. The path of grace is messy. We're going to fall down. We're going to experience dry times, long seasons where we don't see any growth at all. And we keep on seeking because the scripture says, if you seek me, you will find me. That's a promise that we can take to the bank. And the third thing here is to seek first. See, 2 Kings 23, and I love this. It says, Never before has it been a king like Josiah who turned to the Lord with all his heart and soul and strength. Does that sound familiar? Obeying all the laws of Moses, and there has never been a king like him since. It says there's an unparalleled king who kept what Jesus later calls the greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with every fiber of your being. Now we're going to see in the story, you see it at the end, Josiah is not a perfect king. We said last week there is no one who is perfect. But he looked forward to the son of David, Jesus, in faith. And at the heart of every revival is someone who will run after God. Someone who will seek him first and come to the realization that nothing else matters if this isn't the most important thing in my life. I was thinking about my own spiritual journey uh, it was, uh, this, this picture was taken in 1999. Uh, so this is, uh, I'm the, the white one on the left, in case you were wondering. Uh, it's fuzzy. Can I say that? Okay, there's, a, there's an elder email. Um, and there's Jacob in the, in the middle there. Uh, this was actually a year later, but in 1999, I went to this youth conference uh, in Virginia. And at this conference, um, I was actually 15, so a year ahead of Josiah. And even though I grew up in a Christian home, I grew up in a church, I was a pastor's kid on top of it all. I I knew the language. I knew how to play the church game. But I hadn't experienced a personal relationship with Jesus that was number one in my life at that point. But at this conference, and we were joined by over 2,000 other teenagers, and, and we were in this huge arena, and I saw kids my age worshiping God. And I'm, I'm talking really worshiping God. Hands in the air, eyes closed, tears falling. And hey, I'm, I'm from this church, and if you're new here, you've seen. We're not very charismatic, okay? We don't, we don't have the hands in the air most of the time. Blair does. Uh, we don't have a lot of tears falling. We just, we, we, call, those, we call those people heathens, right? Um, no, we don't. Um, and so, so I, I, th- that week... That week at conference, there began this longing in my heart. And I remember saying at the end of that week, if if God can create this kind of of hunger for him after one week of my life, what would it look like if I gave it all to him? And it began this chain of events where the next summer I was on a a summer-long training uh, through Operation Barnabas. The summer after that, I went to Brazil, and it led this whole, I went into missionary training, and, and, and long story short, it got me to where, where I am today. 
But we must begin our journey by seeking him through this messy, error-filled path. And what we're going to see with King Josiah is as he begins to seek the Lord, two things happen. And they're so key if we're going to see revival in our own hearts and in our community. And the first one is, is that he starts removing the idols. The first step he takes is gutting Judah of their idols. Look at Second Chronicles, the second part of that verse that we read. Then in the twelfth year, so he's 20, Okay, put that in perspective. When I'm 20, I'm a sophomore in college getting in trouble by the dean for escaping and running around on the roof in our underwear uh, in the middle of the night. Okay, that's what I'm doing when I'm 20. This is what Josiah is doing. He began to purify Judah and Jerusalem, destroying all the pagan shrines, the Asherah poles, and the carved idols and cast images. This is what a picture of Baal on the left there and an Asherah pole on the right, uh, what they would have looked like at that time. And, and, the, and Chronicle says for six years. He goes through this long process of removing all of the false gods from the land. 20 detailed verses of smashing shrine after shrine. They drive out the prostitutes of the temple. There are priests, the people who are supposed to be set apart for God. There were priests in the temple leading the people of Judah into false worship of false gods. He wipes all of them out. He goes through this entire cleansing process. And since Solomon, this stuff had become a mess, but, but Josiah does the hard, long, slow, painful work of getting rid of it all. And we look at my own, my, I look at my own life, and in Hebrews 12, it says, let us strip off every weight. Not, not some weights, not the, just the big one. Every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. We're called to run this race. And the writer of Hebrews says, you've got to get rid of everything that's slowing you down. If you're going to seek after him, Ephesians 4 says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of behavior. I think back to 15-year-old Justin, and after that summer conference, one of the first things that happened in my heart, and this will happen if we step into the light, the light exposes the things that it needs to expose. And I started seeing all these things in my heart that needed to go. Pornography. Big issue with that. I saw things like pride. I saw that I had messed up priorities, that I was kind of working toward popularity and kind of lifting my own name up instead of, instead of his. And, and God starts exposing all these things in my heart. And I remember kind of joining accountability group. In fact, I spent a lot of time with these two brothers, Jacob and, and Mark, um, together. And, and I'll tell you what, like I said, our path is going to be messy. And a lot of this at the beginning, uh, there was a lot of legalism in it. There was a lot of self-effort in it where I was trying to tell God I'm going to stop doing these sins on my own. And I've had to learn over time and very much still learning what it means. I don't defeat my sin. Jesus has defeated it for me. How do I stand in his victory? Uh, not try to win something he's already won for me. But the process began. The process began. And in a program, uh, we've just started at our church called Celebrate Recovery. Uh, and you may be familiar with, with similar programs in NA or, or AA. Uh, one of the most important steps is what, what we call inventory. And it's a process of literally writing down all of the, the junk in your life, sins and hurts and, and, and wrongs and, and bitterness and, and kind of listing out these things and not in an attempt to, to, guilt, any, to guilt you or to shame you. But because if we don't get to the root of these problems, if we don't take an honest look, as long as we just stay hypothetical sinners, 
And we just say, yes, yes, I'm a sinner, and I know that. The, God's Word tells me that. But we're not actually able to deal and willing to do the hard work at looking at the real sin in our life. We're never going to experience freedom and victory and recovery from it. Are we willing, like Josiah, to do the long, hard work of getting rid of everything that needs to go? So the first step was removing idols. The second one was rediscovering the word. Now, this is crazy. So they, they, they start getting rid of all the idols, and then Josiah starts taking an offering from the people to repair the temple. And so they start to, to repair what, what they had let go. The temple had not been kept up for 250 years. This thing had just become slipshod. So they start to repair it. And this is what happens while they're repairing it. Look at Second Chronicles, verse 14. Uh, while they were bringing out the money collected at the Lord's temple, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord that was written by Moses. Now do you see what's happening here? What this verse implies. The people of God who've been called into a covenant with him. And what was the covenant? That they would obey fully the law of the Lord. That they would walk in it. That they would teach their children it. That it would be meditated on it day in and day out. Every day of their lives. They have gotten so left of center. They've gotten so far off the course that they didn't even know where the law was. I'm not even sure how many of them knew it existed. The king, the leader, hadn't even read it before. I mean, imagine like here at this church, we've been going for for hundreds of years, and Robert and Alan have a work day, and we're cleaning out one of the closets, and there's this big dusty box, and we open it up, and it's like, what is this? A holy Bible? What's that? And we start reading it and going, oh. I mean, I'm thinking about a pilot who had no idea where the flight manual was. And wonders why he continues to crash. The people of God were not even aware of what the law said. And so three things here for us. We got these from Pastor Stephen Cole. He says, first of all, we, we must read God's word. See, the first step was Josiah had it read to him by one of the officials. And I know this sounds like an obvious step, but if we're not actually reading the word, then nothing else is going to be able to happen. And then the reality is, I have to sit down and actually ask myself, am I in God's Word? And how often am I in the Word? I'm not just talking about coming to church on a Sunday morning and, and, and hearing me talk about the Word. Am I on my own in the Word of God? And I'm not talking about a, a way in which we're gaining God's favor, making Him happy with us because we're doing our 12 hours of devotions every day. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is if we don't know, then we can't grow. If we don't know, if we don't understand His truth, it can't set us free. You think about the Word of God, it's like, it's like, a, it's like a highway. And the Holy Spirit is a car. And, and until more road is laid down, if we don't understand what God is telling us, if we don't know His promises, if we don't know His truth, then the Holy Spirit can't take us further down that road into freedom and Christ-likeness. So we've got to be in the Word. Secondly, we must learn the Word from mature believers. And some of you might say, well, man, I've tried to read the Bible, and I'm going to be honest with you, I don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me. I've tried to read it. I can't relate to it. I don't understand it. I, don't, I can't make sense of it. So I've just kind of given up trying. And Josiah feels your pain. Look at what he says here. He says, Go to the temple and speak to the Lord for me and for all the remnant of Israel and Judah. Inquire about the words written in the scroll that has been found. So he says, Let's go find somebody. And we'll see that it affects Josiah upon the initial reading. 
But he says, we need to go find somebody who understands this thing, who can explain it to us and tell us how this is supposed to change the way that we live. And so they do, and they go get this woman. Her name is Hulda. She's a prophet. And, and Hulda, she comes and she kind of breaks it down. And she explains what the word is, what it means. Uh, God gives her some words to speak to them. This is, this is a really cool process. And, you know, for, for me, one of the most spiritual, formative times in, in my life was when I went to Bible school, uh, New Tribes. Uh, Deanne Martin just came from there. And uh, here was a time, two years of my life set apart, uh, almost exclusively to be taught the word by other believers. Men and women, many who had been on the missionary field themselves, who had walked with Jesus for a long time, who, who had studied God's word for a long time. And I was able to sit under them and, and learn from them and hear them explain the word of God to me like it had never been explained before. And one of the things we did is we, we broke down very, what were very similar to what we're doing in this series, how the Bible all fits together and how it tells us one story. They were teaching me to fish, not just shoving fish down my throat, but getting me to a place where I could study the, the Bible on my own. And, and one of the most exciting things was learning for the first time what the gospel really, really was, who Jesus is, and what it looks like to walk with him and to abide in Jesus. It was this beautiful time in my life. I, I got really smart. Look at look how smart I got. Um, I, uh, I, uh, We need to put people in our lives who can explain the Word of God to us. I believe the Holy Spirit is first and foremost our tutor. But I believe it's important for us to enter into, and again, I'm not just talking about Sunday morning. I'm talking about getting into the life of an older, more mature believer. The word disciple, and this is what we've been called to do, go be disciple, make disciples of all nations. The word disciple, it means a learner. So to be a disciple is to be one who learns. And, and, and to identify people in, in, our, in our church, people who are walking with Jesus, that we can come alongside, and not just that they can like teach us head knowledge, but that they can show us what it looks like to believe in Jesus, what it means to walk like a believer walks, and to find these people, to identify them, and to follow them, to enter into a relationship with them. And it's more than just being a learner, though. It's more than just learning facts about the Bible. That's not what this is about. It goes one step deeper. The third thing is, is we must respond to the word. And look at what happens here. And this is, this is incredible. They read the Bible to Josiah. The, the God, and, and most likely, when it says they found the law, it's most likely referring to the first five books of the Bible, uh, Genesis through Deuteronomy. We don't know that for sure. It could have just been Deuteronomy. I'm not sure what portion of the law. It doesn't specify. But they found, they found uh, the word, and they read it to Josiah, and look what happens on his response. When the king heard what was written in the law, he tore his clothes in despair. The word of God undoes us. You've got to be ready when you come to it, because it's going to do some work on your heart. It's going to do some work on my heart. When, when the law is read to him, Josiah sees the ways that Israel, the Judah, has failed to keep the law. And that's the purpose of the law, is to show us God's incredible holy standard and how far we fall short of that standard. And the law it does its due course on Josiah, and he's broken. And he sees what they've done, and what he does is he gathers all the people of Israel together. And, and he reads the law to them. And they kind of reaffirm their covenant with God to keep the law. And there's this mass repentance with the people. There's this kind of Old Testament style revival going on. And then they have the biggest, baddest Passover celebration they've had in hundreds of years. 
probably since the time in Egypt. And we see here the power of the Word of God. The power of the Word of God, if we'll not only read it, but we'll let it change us. This is what James says. He says, don't just listen to God's Word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. See, if we just read it, and we don't let God do its good work in us to believe it and obey it and let it transform our lives, then we have nothing. I had a, a teacher at Bible school. His name was Butch. And uh, he was my favorite teacher, which, of course, he was. His name was Butch, right? And uh, he was this Italian. He's like the Italian uncle I never had. And you look at him in the picture, he looks like he fell right out of the Godfather or Goodfellas or something. And uh, Butch, he told us the story of his life and how he came to know Jesus. And Butch was this blowout. He was just this addict uh, heading for uh, despair and destruction in his own life. And, and, and as the story went, he was in his house and he, and he finds this Bible, okay, somehow. He stumbles across this Bible and he just kind of picks it up and he starts reading it. And he starts telling the story about how the Bible and his reading of the Word starts to change him. And, and he says that he used to stay up. He was so strung out. He said he'd have to use these heavy drugs just to be able to stay alert enough to read the Bible. And as he's reading through it, and he's reading these principles, he's like, I should probably stop doing these drugs, right? And he keeps reading, and he looks over at his girl, and he's like, man, uh, look at what this thing says. Uh, we've been shacking up, and we probably need to change some things, right? We need to get married or get out. And he starts, as he continues to read the Word of God, he allows it to change him. And God completely alters, and we see this in the Bible time and time again. God completely redeems this life that was headed for destruction. And instead of being a blowout on the street corner, he, he, he changes his life, follows Jesus, and now he's been teaching young people the Word of God for decades. And that woman that he had been shacking up with, they got married, and now for over 30 years, they've been able to experience God's blessing in their life from a change that started with knowing the Word of God. You know what has the power to change my life, to change your life? And not just individual lives, but our culture and our world. It's the Word of God. Romans says it's the, it's the gospel that is the power for salvation. And if Josiah was going to see a change in his own heart, and in the hearts of Israel. If you're going to see a change in your heart, I'm going to see a change in my heart. We want to see this peninsula grace change. We want to see Soldatna. We want to see the Kenai Peninsula. We want to see this world change. It starts with the word. And I'm not just talking about the black ink on the white paper. Because in this very book here on the screen, John, he says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the living word. And every changed soul occurs because of who Jesus is in them. I remember being at, at, uh, at Bible college, and kind of my theme verse uh, became what, John six twenty nine. And I love this. Jesus is talking to a crowd, and he says, this is the only work God wants from you. And you always pay attention when you get that kind of language. Here it is. Like when Solomon says, here's the, here's the conclusion of the matter, dial in. He says, this is the only thing. This is what I'm looking for you above all things. He says this, believe in the one he has sent. This is what God wants of us. Because listen, you and I, we can't keep the law. We're sinners. And therefore, we can't do what's required by God to be as holy as God. So he says, what I'm asking of you is to believe in the one who did keep the law for you. 
And Jesus, he stepped in and he lived the perfect life so that I could never live. And he paid the payment so that I didn't have to pay it. And if I will believe in the one who God sent, I can know him. It's only through Jesus that we can step into his presence to have the relationship with him that he's always wanted us to have with him. And by the way, is the best thing for us and to be who he's created us to be. So if we want to seek God like Josiah did more than anything else in our lives, and nothing else is going to satisfy us, we have to be willing, first of all, to remove the idols in our lives. The hard, slow work of the Holy Spirit is he's going to continue to gently but persistently reveal and remove the things in my heart that are not bowing, to the, uh, bowing the knee to Jesus. And secondly, we need to rediscover God's word. We need to read his word. We need to be in the word. We need to be, have it taught to us by other believers. And we most importantly need to let it change us, to believe it and obey it. And next week, uh, we're going to see that even after a great king like Josiah, man, we're going to see how quickly Judah falls once again. It's going to be four more kings before Judah, like Israel, is led into the exile. Um, And and we'll learn about that next week. But let's pray. Father God, we come to you, and uh, we're all on different different uh, points of this, of this long, messy path of grace. Some of us uh, don't know Jesus at all as our Savior, as our Lord. Uh, some of us have been walking with him for years. Uh, but each of us have experienced the difficulty of walking this earth as a human being. And Lord, each of us, uh, there's a long way to go. But I just pray that we as a church, that we would individually, that we would corporately, turn toward you like Josiah, seek you, run after you, taste and see that you're good. And then as your Holy Spirit reveals it to us, that we'd be willing to do the hard work with each other in removing the things that need to go and to let the word of God dwell in us richly and to do its work as we behold in a mirror the glory of Jesus and become like him to experience the freedom that only Jesus can offer. May the word of God change my heart May the word of God change our hearts. May we become a people who know and have tasted the beauty of who Jesus is in and through us. Change our community. Lord, it's easy to look around in, our, in this area and see the devastation that sin has caused in homes and in communities. And it's easy to think, man, there's no way that people in America in 2017 can have this kind of revival. But God in Israel, man, it was just as bad. Sin was just as bad as it is today. And so we trust in your power. We take our eyes off of the circumstances. And if we will be people like that little eight-year-old boy who will run after you, man, there's nothing that the word of God can't do. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen.